Welcome back to the Lightfoot Podcast. This week I'm joined by Stephanie Lepp for a far-reaching discussion around what it means to have a deep reckoning. We explore the ethics of apologizing as well as the art of forgiveness and unpack the fundamental importance of better understanding the mechanisms of how people radically change their worldviews. Stephanie shares what it's like to be Alex Jones for a day and also speaks to the profoundly transformative power of ritualized days of atonement. I really enjoyed this discussion with Stephanie, and I hope you do too. So without further ado, I bring you Stephanie Lepp. Now, welcoming to the show, two-time Webby Award winner, Stephanie Lepp. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm going to hear my request that I be introduced that way every time. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Joe. Yeah. With the audience track too, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did you get to give an acceptance speech for uh, their receiving such prestigious I awards? did. Are you asking because you know the answer to that question? Do you know the answer to that question? You kind of know the answer to that question. I know there's something going on there. Yeah. So there, you, you only get five words. It's a five-word acceptance speech. Right. And so people take it really, really seriously. Right. Some people. Some people. is You know, it's mm. like Black Lives Matter always forever, oh. which I'm – a million percent on board with, and I went in a different direction. Uh, uh-huh. So I actually had my 11-month-old give my acceptance speech. So he's basically saying like, goo, ga, gi, ga, ga. He nailed it, by the way. Nailed it. And then I had a, I actually did have a backup acceptance speech. I, 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 I'm curious if you get, I didn't submit this one because I didn't think people were going to get it. So I actually uh-huh. did have my four, four and a half year old daughter do this one. Uh-huh. So I'm just like okay. enlisting my kids and her, she's holding a pipe and mm-hmm. she says, this is not a speech. Do you get it? Do you remember the Magritte painting? Ceci pas un peep? Oh, okay. well, yeah, I mean, but that's why I, yeah, nice. yeah, a little, yeah. So, but I assumed not enough people would, would, but, but people, I mean, people responded to the, my son's, the baby, ex- like, I swear that like the, the, the response I got, like people loved it. I think people who didn't even see the project. were were like over the moon with this to the point where I think I might actually just submit my acceptance speech next year to the Webby Awards <laughs> yeah, nice. as my entry. Awesome. That'd yeah. be meta as hell. Yeah. I uh, love it. So, yeah. That's cool. I, yeah, so <laughs> I, I remember seeing on your website something about an acceptance speech, but I didn't know it was the uh, five words, and I didn't know it was your kid. That's awesome. It's that's, definitely that's worth a cool watching. idea. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. My my kids I, someday will be like, yeah. Mom, yeah, my daughter has been in on reckoning. Yeah, I definitely uh, engage. Well, you know, actually, like per the conversation we were having before, like that's kind of the only way. Integration is the only way that uh-huh. like that I definitely get ca- caught in tug of war thinking about mm-hmm. kids versus work. And I mean, definitely like time is a zero sum game. Like, yeah. you know time on something is not time on something else, but yeah, sure. but like integration is the only way. So yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good deep bit of wisdom to start off with there. So that's, that's coming from a place of like having a lot going on, having two young ones and realizing that bringing them into the story, bringing it all together is the path through rather than trying to 
separate things out. Yeah, I mean, and definitely there's some separation, you know, obviously I won't, it's not, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to like invade their private, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, and like to keep as my North Star, just the question, maybe the question, like, what does integration mean? Mm. Yeah. Well, that's been a, a big question for you, isn't it? Because you've got somewhat of an integral background. The first place yeah. that I encountered you was on an infinite lunchbox video. And ah. you know what I thought? I thought, I like the cut <laughs> of this girl's jib. I was like into what it. Does like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Is that an old timey English expression, I think. Oh, oh, oh. I liked the cut of your jib? I don't know. Is it be like the tailoring of your suit or something maybe? Oh, is, like, is a jib a suit? Okay, cool. Maybe. Yeah. I'm like, Let's go with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. And, oh, thanks. And it's fitting because, you know, you had this like funky flair, like uh, really interesting <laughs> questions, interesting. Um, yeah. I just like the energy of it. It was like, uh, for me, a, another fresh take on the integral scene, which had become a bit old and white and male slowly. And yes. it's like been nice to see it kind of be populated by different perspectives and um then it's really cool to um actually to read about the tell us about the origin of the infinite lunchbox name where did that come from and maybe what it was for people as well (laughs) yeah so the infinite lunchbox yeah so when I was when I was I think I was in second grade I had a lunchbox with Bert and Ernie on it and Bert was carrying a lunchbox with Bert and Ernie on it. And on that lunchbox, yeah, so I was so, you know, I was like, wow, like how far do the lunchboxes go? You know, and then all of a sudden it's like in the other direction, like, am I in a lunchbox too? And there I was at, you know, whatever, six years old, like mind blown by the concept of infinity. And that really stayed with me. I wish I still had the lunchbox. Although actually I should show you this since we're doing video. So yeah. then my husband, a couple of birthday, birthdays ago, this just proves that he is my soulmate, made, um, oh, I actually, wait. I can't see myself because I have the Zencaster window. So I just want to actually make sure that I'm, that you can see this. He made me go a little higher, an infinite lunchbox. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So we're and looking so at that, young Stephanie yeah. holding a lunchbox. It's got a lunchbox on it with a lunchbox on it. So the literal infinite lunchbox. And that that's that's a real photo of you, right? That is a real photo of me. And if I ever do merch, <laughs> that will be my merch. You send me a photo and I'll send you a photo of yourself or, you know, and I'll, or someone else. And I'll send you an infinite lunchbox. And this actually contains, though, it's nice. Like this has... A lot of our um, like birthday cards and anniversary cards and like our vows and just mm. special. So yeah, it can. Do, but I mean, obviously, you can use your lunchbox for whatever you want, including lunch. Um, including yeah, lunch. Including lunch. But if I, uh, um, yeah, if if I ever have merch, sign me up. Be. I wonder how many of us have. <laughs> photo of the moment that our minds were blown that's so cool that you have oh that's a great gosh i don't know like yeah i mean it'd be cool to have a photo of that moment of like when you find out that santa claus father christmas is (laughs) doesn't exist like you know this is a slightly darker twist on it but that kind of like 
yeah, yeah, those first few conceptions. Actually, I just found in the cupboard upstairs, I'm staying in my mum's house at the moment, mm. Um, mm. That this, um, when I was four years old, it is an imprint of my hand in some ceramic and then my name uh, etched into it in terrible four-year-old etching ability. Uh-huh. And it's a really visceral thing to see yeah. the size of your own hand when it was yeah. small because it's, yeah. I mean, it's cute, but it's also like, yeah. wow. I was, I was that. I yeah. I was that. Yeah. I was That's that. A- I know. It's really crazy to hang out with babies and yeah, realize that you were that too. But actually on the little on that, I, I so another kind of infinite. So th- this, this motif is like everywhere in my life. Um, uh-huh. I'll show you. Well, it's not. Um, I'll show you another example. But uh, so th- this is this is all the phones. I've had like the, but, um, another, a really good one was, um, I, I went to, I went to a Montessori for preschool and, um, I, I can't believe they had, I love that they had us make this. They had us make little frames Mm -hmm. and then they took photos of us making the frame and that's the photo they put in the frame. Whoa. It's a cool great. childhood, Stephanie. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that was like a conscious idea. That, I don't know if all the kids actually have that photo. I, I actually don't really know. But the fact that I had, yeah, a photo of me making the frame in the frame. Yeah. It's done. It's definitely done things for, for yeah. I have like other examples of this, by the way. Uh, include, well, yeah, whatever. If, yeah. Oh, I'm but, into um, it. I'm all about infinity. You want I mean, one more? Like, you want one more? Lay <laughs> it on me. Yeah, go. Okay, one more. This is so when I was 15, I had the terrible idea of getting a tattoo. Well, not terrible. I mean, I I decided I wanted to get a tattoo. I was just something I couldn't have done in the U.S., but I happened to be traveling abroad and could do it in another country. I, I happened. To, I was in Israel, and I like snuck away from the group that I was 15, in and nice. did, That's yeah. And, and I had this idea that I wanted to get Japanese calligraphy, which did I have any relationship with Japan? Did I know anything about Japanese calligraphy? Did I even know what word <laughs> I wanted to, I mean, it was like Classic. so not thought through, but I, so I like got to the place and they did, you know, the guy said, I don't do Japanese calligraphy and I had to do it really quickly and get out of there and blah, blah, blah. And I was like doing everything wrong at the same, like could have gotten kicked off this. But the guy was like, but you know what? Um, he was like, well, because I'm a tattoo artist, I happen to have a, the, the necklace I'm wearing says tattoo in Japanese. Is that okay? And like whatever word I might have otherwise chosen, like serendipity, whatever it it would have been like meaningless to me now, it is so perfect that I ended up with a tattoo tattoo. I ended up with a tattoo tattoo. So when people ask me what it says, sometimes I just say it says what it is. And people are like, oh, deep. What it is. Yeah. (laughs) And then depending on like how long you have, yeah, then I'll just, it's my tattoo tattoo. So it's awesome. It's kind of all over the place in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like it as a, a, I think infinity for me is really important. I keep coming back to it because some parts of my mind have managed to rationalize out all of the magic in the world sometimes, that kind of like masculine, uh, sciencey part of me as like, uh, and then I just come to infinity and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. It's all just this unfolding, amazing, completely unfathomable miracle that we're a part of. And if I point in any direction, it goes forever totally 
Yeah. But We're at the center of infinity always because yes. that's just, that's the nature of infinity. Yeah. God, yeah. It's nice to start there. I feel like starting every podcast with that little, I might record that and kind of. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So infinite lunchbox turns into, uh, or from that springs forth this reckonings project, which is amazing. And is really ama- is really like uh, creative and interesting and yeah I I mean you won these awards for it for 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 good reason it's a, it's a really beautiful beautiful project I really enjoyed listening to it I really encourage people to check it out you've been, you've been at it for a while it started off in two thousand and fifteen right so it's got a bit of the are you talking about the podcast yeah the podcast the po- yeah the podcast um, the webbies is for deep reckonings which came okay. from reckonings but yes gotcha. the podcast it should have won a webby though <laughs> yes. no yeah the podcast um <laughs> the podcast uh yes since 2015 right and i'm no i'm no longer i'm sad or it's either on it's either over or on a long hiatus tbd yeah. i guess yeah Definitely. it seemed pretty yeah pretty complete to me i know it's hard as artists to finish off i mean there's an infinity of more infinity of other episodes i mean it's just kind of like i mean you know someone who a former QAnon. yes on how they i mean it's just it's like if once you start looking at the world through this lens oh yeah the episodes are i mean like an exploration of our capacity to evolve our consciousness, mm. like that is a great, I mean, you can follow that in so many directions. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really so. rich idea. So the basis is like for the podcasts to interview people that have had a reckoning in their life, a huge shift or a change. And I mean, let's start with the word reckoning. It's a really interesting word. I mean, firstly, it's just kind of badass. <laughs> it sounds like a Clint Eastwood Western <laughs> movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> and but it's got almost three meanings to it because to reckon is to estimate. Like in Australia, we're very fond of saying, what do you reckon? Totally, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. To, it's also to avenge in some ways, the reckoning, like that's kind of like the Western angle. But then mm-hmm. it's also to make amends, which is kind of similar as well and to, and to kind of like go through uh, a process. But in, in, in this context, um, yeah, describe what what the reckonings were, the, the 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 format, and what you were looking for when you were when you were looking for guests. Yeah, it's it actually took me, I think, actually a little while to understand what kind of change I was interested in, mm. because I did I did I have done many interviews that I haven't aired, mm-hmm. and so it was like, what what am I, you know, and 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 it's definitely not you know, like from right to left or from, or from anywhere in particular to anywhere else on the political spectrum. It's really from, as I, as I went through and kind of understood what it was that I was even trying to understand, it's really more from, from, from certainty to uncertainty or from, from dogma to ideological liberty, right. From being like fearfully attached to my way of being Mm. to having the freedom to, reflect on my way of being and be critical of my way of being and, and change my way of being in order to adapt to the reality around me. So it's not, it's not even just like a change in views. It's a change in the way that we relate to our views, right? In that sense, it's like a meta change or you will, you will also 
be familiar be familiar with this from integral it, it it is it is like it is a shift to second tier thinking in a way mm. right it's from my way is the only way to thank god we've given birth to so many ways mm. you know under what circumstances is which way the most helpful and some ways are in some absolute sense more beautiful more true more good than others and like mm-hmm. thank god we've given birth to so many ways mm. um so yeah it took me it took me some time to to understand that. But once I did, it made sense of which interviews I was keep, you know, airing and, and which, and which I was not. And then, and then it's like, if I were to want to cover, like, let's say like a view that I don't, that I like ardently don't agree with, it gives me my way into that. It's, you know, it's like, maybe I don't agree with your, the, the view that you ended at, but did you go through a process of, right? Like changing your relationship with your views. Mm. And therefore that is absolutely something I want to like showcase and celebrate. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. As you were describing that, I had quite a visceral uh, somatic experience of just relaxing a little bit. (laughs) I recognized that a part of me was kind of like holding on to whatever idea is most dear to me right now. And it's just, it's so easy to fall into that, isn't it? Like, yeah. being so loose so what a beautiful central thrust and a sneaky exploration of second (laughs) tier i didn't even make that connection ah yeah so cool yeah Yeah. um and not that i'm like good at it at all i mean just because i'm interested in admiring it does not make me good at it at all it's funny like people who people who listen to the show are like oh you must be so you know compassionate or you know like your ability to talk to former white supremacists well you know it's like uh ask my ask my husband (laughs) and my mom (laughs) and my kids like it's easy it's easier right with people that i have no no baggage with no you know like uh, you know but but i can definitely port the intellectual cure the curiosity i bring to interview i can i can port that back to my hunter like like that's quite quite a feat that you pull off because I mean, the guests you have are incredible. What and such an incredible array of humans and their stories are unbelievable. Like two of them that jumped out to me is the first episode, the uh, leap officer. Who is oh, a, a wow. Drug. Neil Franklin. Wow. You went all the way back. Wow. Yeah. I re- that one really touched wow. me. He's an interesting dude. So this character yeah. uh, was full on warrior in the drug war police officer fully indoctrinated to believe like we need to stamp it out and there's just no space for this in our society. And then, yeah, through a really tragic turn of events in his life. And, you know, this is real shit. This is like kind of, yeah, I won't reveal it so people can listen and and learn the story themselves. But yeah, you you really get into some darker aspects of the human experience. And through that he shifts and and becomes an advocate for, uh, leniency and legalization and education on, on drugs yeah. and ends up leading that organization. And, yeah. Um, I mean, what a story. It's like, I can't yeah, know, but like, it's, it's got it all. In yeah, it, you know? totally. And what's, and what some people will say, well, it's like, well, why does it have to take a personal experience? Mm. But what I would say is like, well, thank God we can learn this all through personal mm. experience. Mm. How amazing is that? That like, just yeah. by virtue of like living our lives, Mm. and ha- and like experiencing suffering we can learn i mean 
all of my guests. Yeah, I'm in total awe of my guests, and I yeah. fantasize about having like a panel, you know, with all of them. It's like, how do we yeah. learn? How do we evolve? How do we grow? These are people yeah. who've done that, but they and some of the things that they say, it's it's like they it's like did they just go on like a ten day vipassana or like read a bunch of Ken Wilber? No, they did not. They actually just observed themselves grow. Mm. Yeah, and they come to such wisdom. They do, yeah, yeah. They do there's a there's a there's a sense of that you can hear in them that they've been they've been through something really profound and they have a very important lesson each of them for us and our society right now because generally it seems like we kind of suck at doing what they've done on a broad scale yeah. individually it seems yeah. to be happening but uh, maybe it's a it's a growth edge for us is a more generous way to put it of of really learning to let go and and embrace the other yeah. new ideas yeah. Yeah. The other one that um, leaped out at me. So there's like white supremacists. There's like uh, climate change deniers who change around. But th- this, um, the more recent Facebook executive. Um, oh yeah. What's his Tim. name again? Tim Kendall. Yeah. Tim Kendall. Yeah. Pretty big deal in Silicon Valley. You know, he's been at the heart yeah. of a lot of the developments there. And yeah, how fascinating to hear his reckoning around realizing that he's been central to creating this kind of huge vast information sucking society warping <laughs> techno structure which yeah um, yeah uh, i mean yeah you want to talk a little bit more about that yeah. that story and his his adventure? well and he made it all the way to capitalism which i give him so much credit for because yeah, it's did. easy enough especially now post the social dilemma and just where it's like easy enough now to be like oh yeah tech you know it's like big tech's big problem and you know misinformation polarization and our attention and consciousness hijacking but to actually end up at like and (laughs) you know it 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 it, it is it is yeah to the the fact that these technology platforms are held accountable to short-term profit maximization is the is the issue we're up against here we cannot expect these platforms to change unless we start talking at the level of capitalism so for tim to make it all the way there is huge and and tim is an interesting one because for a lot of my guests they had already like processed a lot of this stuff like you know it's like for a former white supremacist they probably talked to social workers or like therapists in order to really and tim it's like the, the like what tim did you know like in terms of he built Facebook's business model. Like, yeah, who is he going to really like? That's not really something he's, I guess he could, but that isn't something he like processed per se, like, mm. or like with a therapist, you know? Yeah. So yeah. he was really kind of working through that in the interview with me. Yeah. Yeah. In a way that I wow. kind of realized as we were, I was like, oh, wow, you haven't actually. How did that feel? What did it feel like holding space for him in that moment? Did you feel the gravity of the action and then the depth of the potentially sorrow and regret? Well, like I, I, I actually had to go back to him because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get enough. But it's like, how do I, how do I go back to you? What is it that I have to be? Because I can't just be like Tim. Not enough guilt, you know. That's and that's also not what this is about, you know. It's just like. I want to see what you see. I just want you to look a little yeah. deeper. Yeah. Um, yeah you very I don't want to see anything more than what you see. I don't want to see anything less. Than, I want to see like exactly and only what you see, but like we got to take another look. 
you know? So yeah, it's a, it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a delicate, it's like part interviewer part, Mm. um, like voice in your head. Um, part confessional priest, part investigative (laughs) journalist, part subtle integral second tier puppeteer. (laughs) Yeah. Second tier puppeteer. I love it. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a delicate process. You yeah. nailed it. I'm I'm a fan. I, it's fantastic, Aww. really. It's such an Aww, it's, it's just awesome. Well done. Congratulations. Thank you. You've, you've thank you. Really profound and really important. Um thank there was you. something Tim Aww. said that freaked me out. Um I mean, kudos to him. I, I'd respect for him for the journey he's gone on and he's really, yeah, definitely done some good things since. So it's it's rad. But I, at one point he just he spoke to realizing so after being this like uh high-powered, high-earning, in-the-tech-bubble type character right at the heart of things, literally sitting next to Zuckerberg while he's figuring out how to grow Facebook. Um, He realized at some point that life could be about spending time in your garden with your kids. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, like, I really heard in when he said that, like, how profound that was for him and how new that was to him as an idea. And what it struck me, like, so I'm not from the States, right? So Silicon Valley for me is kind of, I'm not as intimately familiar as a lot of you are over there in America with it. Like, you kind of get that culture. You you understand its impact, its origin. And, and But for me, it's that really struck me of just how this kind of like white male quasi liberal Silicon Valley trauma has been amplified and spread all over the world because mm-hmm. they've created the technologies that shaped our culture. And yeah. it's like, it just showed me just the emperor really has no clothes. Like these, they're not even yeah. villains. They're just characters that are like caught in this, uprush of energy and money in this little bubble and that that their particular form of disconnect from nature or you know slowly spending time with with the people around you as a way of filling yourself up rather than ongoing achievement and just to have that broadcast and to have all of us kind of tapped into that wavelength that really struck me as like wow that's there's a lot going on there Thank you for, um, yeah, for like taking what, he, like uh, hearing what he said from his own point of view. Because I, I, I actually considered cutting that because to some people it could make him sound a little foolish. But yeah. like if you take that as a revelation to him, exactly, that, that is what you see. Yeah, exactly. What you just, like the fact that that is a revelation to people yeah. is part of what we're up against here. Yes, yeah, the yeah, and um, it's painful. It's painful to to ha- to like have to be learning that, right? So humbling, so humbling for these people that are at the top of these massive echelons and pyramids to have these mm-hmm. really obvious life mm-hmm. lessons there. Mm-hmm. And, that must be so difficult because in in that moment, I feel like he probably had to leave that whole mindset. It's like a whole kind of trance hypnosis you're in of like, go, 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 expand, grow, yeah. change. And to, to let that realization in would kind of, I feel, slowly melt you from the, from the inside out until you kind of, you can no longer really be in that same 
wavelength. Yeah. For some parts I'm, of him, yeah. must really sad. I mean, I've yeah, I've learned to say changing your mind is changing your life. Yeah. Because yeah, for a lot of these people to include, it's like yeah, your 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 the way you think is intimately wrapped up in your identity, your community, the way you dress often what you have tattooed on your body, you know, for these former white supremacists, it's, it's, you know, so like, it's not as simple as like, oh, just like changing your opinion about something. Like oftentimes yeah. changing your opinion about something means like cutting off relationships, ha- ha- having to like form an entirely new community, maybe having to move yeah. somewhere else. So yeah, yeah there's a lot that goes with that. Yeah. So zooming out a little then, like what what are the major takeaways after five years of, of that project? And we'll come to deep reckonings a bit later, but like what what have you learned about you, you yourself and you know human <laughs> psychology in terms of watching this process? What what's what's stuck with you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I went in with this quite with the question, you know, how do people change? Right. And so this, you know, $64 million question, like, what did I find? I mean, I, yeah, so I used to, and before, and before I started the show, I had this, I I had kind of tried to research this, but I didn't really know what, even what search term to use. It's like, what am I Googling here? Like worldview transformation? You know, is, is that a thing? Like I know behavioral economics is a thing, but I'm not, I'm not looking to find out what makes people floss their teeth more often. You know, <laughs> I'm looking to, to find out what, what moves people in fundamental ways. And I, yeah, I, 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 I mean, there's definitely like some in the literature, but fi- it, finally it just, uh, yeah, it struck me that this exploration would be, would be really powerful and fun to explore within the context of, of stories, right. Mm-hmm. Of a pot of, of, the people who've made these kinds of change that I'm interested in. And before I started the show, I had, I I had this kind of like highly unscientific um, list, like running list of things that I thought radically transformed people. So it was like Mm -hmm. falling in love, near death experiences, having kids, you know, sometimes like very, very rarely, but sometimes uh, information. And that's because Mm -hmm. we usually only trust information that confirms what we already believe. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I had this, and then I had this kind of like very unscientific list. And, and what I found from the, yeah, and again, this podcast reckonings is not like a scientific endeavor by any stretch, but, you know, probably over 400 hours of interviews with people who've made all kinds of transformative change. And what I found was that what, what the, it's not, it's not that it's not that like, like those things make you change what those things have in common or, or what, or what they do is they reveal to you the difference between who you think you are mm. and who you actually are, mm. or the difference between the impact you think you're having on the world and the impact you are actually having on the world and it's seeing that difference it's it's seeing that gap that is what initiates the process of transformation so for the you know one of the former white supremacists i spoke with he so his transformation process started in jail when he started playing sports with black inmates and started getting to know black people for the first time in his life and 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 that 
um, was very confusing to him because he was like, well, actually, you know, like, but, but then it was like, well, you know, black people are okay. It's, it's Jew, like Jewish people are still not okay. Like you start kind of, you know, and then he gets out of jail. He's looking for a job, can't find a job. He has swastika tattoos all over him. And of course the person who ends up offering him a job is a Jewish person. <laughs> and so after having enough of these, like, well, those people are okay, but like these people are, you know, finally his, that just kind of revealed to him the bankruptcy of his whole ideology and ultimately just revealed to him the difference between who he thought he was. He thought he was this like righteous defender of the white race, you know, and who he actually was, which was just this bigoted, you know, ignorant, violent individual. And it was seeing that difference. That is what prompted his transformation. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So is that pointing towards the idea that that was already within us, the, the seeds of that yes. new person? Yes, that is very hopeful. Era? Yes, exactly, exactly. It's such a hopeful because it means that for the most part, we all we're, we're, we think we're doing something good or we want to be doing something good or want to be doing something righteous. And so it's not like telling us, instead of, instead of like, tr it's like, trying to make us good it's just showing us showing us like revealing to us or revealing to ourselves the difference between what we think we're doing what we actually are trying to do and and what we're actually doing what is actually going on the actual impact same with tim right it's like the impact he wanted to have at facebook versus like the impact his the business model he built was actually having and, and then just like wrestling with that difference. But yes, it means that it is absolutely like within us. All, all we need or all, I mean, just, and this doesn't make it easy, but is mm. to, is to, yes, yeah, is, to, is to see clearly, look clearly into the mirror. And so that will, that will. Go the other way though. Like, wouldn't it be interesting to do like an anti-reckonings podcast of like interviewing people that have made changes that we might not see through the lens of yay, positive growth, you know, that went the other way. And is it that the seeds of, you know, compassion and the seeds of domination are just both inside of the human and it depends on the, the, yeah. the outcome and environment? Yeah, I would say they're both inside of the human. And then the question is what prompts us in either direction? Because they're Nature absolutely both within this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that would be because they definitely are both within us. Yeah. I would say. I yeah. have this kind of broader theory that I'm working on in some of my work and that basically we're like much more cooperative and compassionate then our current culture tends to bring out in us that capitalism tends to bring out in us that we've got this, you know, million year history in these kind of egalitarian hunter gatherer contexts where literally helping each other out was how we survived. And that's yeah. been kind of just repressed, but it's waiting there for us. And then when we're exposed to these different community environments, when the, I mean, the, the, the white supremacist story is so cool because it's like an old Jewish dude that gives him a job, right? Um, that, and it's like these little moments, these little, just the, the right water was poured and, and that the seed yeah. you know, kind of flowers. It's, yeah, it's really beautiful. It's really, it's really, uh, really heartening to, to hear these stories. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, yeah, it is. It definitely, this wasn't why I created the show, but definitely 
has enabled me and listeners, you know, to like, to, yeah, maintain our faith in people during an otherwise challenging time. Oh yeah. Even in monsters that we thought were, yeah, Mm -hmm. beyond the pale. Um, And this comes to this question of like, so how do people change? And this is such an important question because really it's tempting when you, I don't know, I I get the sense that both of us have somewhat progressive values. And, you know, if we've we've arrived at integralism, we've kind of taken a broader perspective and tried to look at all of it. And, And along the way, usually there's a period of like activism that happens within that. I don't know when you're mm-hmm. younger or something like, well, you know, I've got to change the world, save the whales, stop the wars or whatever it was. For me, it was climate change when I was like 20 years old. That was just arriving mm. and I was all passionate about it. But mm-hmm. we don't often slow down to ask that question of how do people change? We tend to like get into action or we tend to just do the whatever's the momentum is gathering. And it's a really important question, a really strategic one, I feel, to get a sense of like, yeah, but what's motivating people in the totally. first place? And I think yeah, that, that is how that- I actually, that is how I, oh, sorry, you you froze for a sec. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, just the, the with the climate change and a lot of it, we tended to go with fear of like, let's scare the shit out of everyone about how bad everything's going to be and cause them to change. And that doesn't have the best track record of really shifting things. I mean, it can be Mm -hmm. useful in little bursts, Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, yeah, we just seem to be, that's a question that's not asked enough before we we direct our lives towards something. And I feel like what the project's done is like, let's unpack that a little bit so we can maybe be a bit more elegant with where we're putting our energy. Totally. It makes our foreign policy look absolutely absurd. (laughs) yeah i mean i don't want to yeah like i don't think we want to go into afghanistan right now but like yeah it just makes it all look absolutely ridiculous and that is that it was through activism actually that that question came up for me because i my first activist experience experience like formal experience with activism my freshman year in college i went to a city council meeting with the Redwood Action Team at Stanford, we went up to Mendocino to protest against the logging of the Redwoods in mm. Northern California. And we and so we go to the city council meeting, and um, and I and I and, the, and I, I I noticed two things. One was the like representative from our group was like testifying at the city council meeting, and so he's mm. like talking about all these endangered species that are gonna you know, be disrupted by, because of the logging of the road. It's like the spotted owl and the salamander and this and that. And I'm, and I'm looking, I'm like listening to him talk and I'm looking at the city council members and their eyes are just glazed over. And it's like, they clearly are not being moved by this at all. Like, is this, is this really the, the approach? Like what, what would move them? So that was the first thing I noticed was like, this approach is not working. And then the second thing I noticed was that um, on like on the like opposite side of the issue were loggers and their families who looked like really kind of humble people. And I was like, I don't think I want to be on the opposite side as those people. Like, is there a side where I can be on the same side as the trees and as those people? Because the way the lines are drawn here just isn't making sense to me. And that actually kind of alienated me from yeah. like traditional activism um 
for a long time. But that, but that also planted the seed of the question. It's like, what would have convinced those people? Like, how do people change their minds about logging the redwoods or anything? for that matter. Well, it's a uh, humble path we need to start walking at that point. It's a tricky <laughs> yeah. path because you, you, it's di- more difficult to be a zealous warrior that gets to express their rage because it's like, where am I going to express that in a way that's actually going to lead to better change? And the, the problem with really taking other people's perspectives is you start to love them and you start to understand uh, where they're coming from and you start to yeah. realize that if you were in their shoes, you'd be making the same decisions and things get mm-hmm. way less black and white at that point. Yeah. It's kind of like complexity soup and it's like, wow, it can be difficult to um, yep. stay on track. You know, it's easy yeah. to be like, fuck the loggers, save the trees, you save the, the spotted owl. Yeah. You know? It's like, that's an easy And I do think like from an integral perspective, there is still room for the anger and the zealotry under some circumstances mm-hmm. for sure. Like I actually have a lot of, um, I have a lot of respect for Greta as like Thunder, this, like yeah. as this like young scold yeah. that we like totally need just Me like too. telling us, you know, how it like, like it, like I, this is a very weird analogy I'm about to make whatever i i can't believe Make i it. whatever go there okay okay here we go so um <laughs> for a while um my husband and i were um i was like i was uh how to say it like we were having a dry spell that was my fault i'll okay. just put it that way and um and he would like he would sometimes just kind of um kind of like go off on like getting upset with me like I like this is an issue I need to deal with because it's it's part it's like it's it's important for our marriage that we have sensuality and sexuality as part of Mm -hmm. our fuel for our marriage and so and he would kind of like lay into me a little bit and I kind of loved it actually it was actually helpful for me to have him kind of like not he I this I hope this isn't he he wasn't doing it in like a I don't know whatever I don't need to editorialize I it was helpful for me to hear the like the like righteousness the like the if we were to make a comparison like mm-hmm. it, it can Greta sometimes serve yeah and it was like I'm hearing you I really yeah. you're right everything you're saying is right and it's helpful for me to hear it in this kind of like impassioned of a way so there's totally a place for that. <laughs> and then you had some hot, but, um, steamy Greta Thunberg moment together. And, and, <laughs> and it rained. Oh, oh, it rained. So, yeah, but I get, but it's like, yeah, it's, 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 it's needed in more, in, in more rare circumstances, I guess, than we use it. But when it's necessary, it definitely does an important job. Yeah. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. Oh, so much so. And it, what comes up for me in this moment is this slightly unfortunate position I find myself in sometimes like, uh, you know, critiquing the uh, extreme kind of uh, woke movement of like the social justice on steroids type thing, which I think deserves critiquing. But then within that, it's so easy to lose sight of the like pure, beautiful moment of truth and expression of activism of that voice of rage that is so required against so many of the systems that we're living in right now and so yeah so it's about that balance it's about those moments isn't it you know and how do we how do we bring all of that together i guess is what i'm pointing towards 
And I think that, yeah, I think that, did you ever see, um, oh, she's from your neck of the woods, uh-huh. um, Nanette. Have you heard of Nanette? No. I'm trying to remember her name. It's a, it's an, she's a comedian from okay. Australia. Um, and her name is, I'm blanking on her name, but she does this amazing thing. Do you want to do where, an impersonation? I'd love to hear your Australian. Well, it's a, yeah, no, <laughs> I don't think I can do that. <laughs> um, but she, she does this comedy show. It's a Netflix comedy special. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm like debating whether to like, it's still worth watching, even if you know how, but so it starts out kind of like your, um, it seems like a normal comedy show. She is, um, I don't know, I, she's a lesbian. I don't know if she's, she, she's a lesbian who, who just like looks masculine. Uh-huh. And, um, and she's kind of like joking and starts joking about her, you know, and then, and then, and then like slowly kind of starts getting a little serious about the way she's been treated by men who like mm-hmm. thought she was hitting on their girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And like was like beat up by the, like, and she just like slowly starts holding up a mirror to the men in the audience mm. in a really intent, like in a way that if they knew what they were going to get into with the show, they might not have gone to the show. Well, but she great. like lures you in with comedy, like a spoonful of sugar, and then just like sends the medicine down. And it's, it's so brilliant. It's so well done. And I, yeah, I just would love to see more like beautiful scolding. I don't know what else to call it. Like sometimes we actually need some like straight up, like, but you have to bring us there. Like when the zealotry is out of nowhere and just like people yelling outside your, your whatever, like the white hat, you know, like holding pickets. It's like, I'm not, Uh I'm not going to let, that's just, I'm, my defenses are up. But like, if you bring me in and then you like, tell me some Mm. medicine, give me some medicine that I need. Like I am paying attention. So I, I, yeah, that it's kind of like a genre, I guess that I'm, I'm very intrigued by. I would love, I actually would love, I have a friend who I think is like, is like a perfect, beautiful scold. <laughs> and mm. I would love to like, yeah, choreograph something with her where she just like lays it down. She's also beautiful and a dancer. And I, and I think that there's, so. I think she, I think there could be like a dance, like, you know, whatever dance scold thing that I think would be really, could be really necessary, beautiful and important. Yeah. Cool. The, 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 yeah i'm i'm loving it i'm seeing it already I'm there. <laughs> she's dancing i'm getting scolded it's yeah. oh the, and there are also dominate well anyway there's like progressive political dominatrixes but anyway go on go on what were you gonna say well, you can't just drop that in and we just leave <laughs> they, it alone there's a few there's a few there's a few it's kind of a wild thing that they that there's like a yeah there's one there's a black dominatrix that makes her clients read um black feminist who makes her white male clients read black feminist theory oh wow i love it um, i love the what, but where the, that what a better place to ex, to experiment with like changing power dynamics than in the bedroom definitely yeah and just what i'm so. what i'm loving is the playfulness of it it's obviously profoundly important that these exchanges these power dynamics are played with changed i mean it's happening whether we like it or not Thankfully, that genie is coming out of the bottle and oh, yeah. we're on track for that. So it can either be messy or we can do it elegantly, artistically, and just this whole idea of like 
warming your audience up a little bit first, you know, like coming in and fluffing. charming them a little bit. Fluffing, yeah. fluffing yeah. the industry term. And then <laughs> bringing it home is, yeah. yeah, that's, I think there's something really cool in that. I, I like that. I'd, um, I look forward to seeing whatever comes out of that creative spark from you. So um, I want to shift to this idea of like apologies and mm. forgiveness mm-hmm. because you've had me thinking deeply around these topics and where I get to first with like apologies, I'll just share a little bit of what I've kind of the research I've looked into. I mean, first up the word apology for me just feels kind of hollow for whatever reason, my own connotations to it. I've got this kind Mm -hmm. of formal, like prime minister fakely apologizing for what they did to indigenous people here and kind of legal kind of speak that that's the connotation I have. And, but then I read some, some uh, cool article on what makes a good apology and they broke it down into three segments and they suggest starting with what you're sorry for then moving into why this makes you sorry yeah and then finishing with what you will do in the future I thought that was pretty useful. I'm like, that's kind of simple, but yeah, I think most of us flub our apologies. It's difficult because it's like an emotionally charged moment and, and we often make it more about us than them. Totally. Most of it is little... like explaining ourselves. Yeah. 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 We, sometimes we start off well and then yeah. and then we backtrack massively by trying to like rationalize it afterwards and the person is like, you had me and now you kind of made it worse. Mm-hmm. But um. There's the um, the idea of the, this Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Mm, I've got I'm it's Jewish my favorite side, Jewish but, holiday. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. Let's tell us a little bit about it then, because it's a, such a cool. I, I was like, oh, what a cool science fiction idea! We could have a day where it's like everyone just apologizes to each other, and then it's like, oh, that's a that's a thousand year old Jewish oh, tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a beautiful tradition. Yeah, it's a day. I mean, it's like at least we, I need at least one day a year, but thank God for one devoted day a year to reflect on, yeah, how I affect other people and how I want to affect other people. And so after, after you've gone through your bar bat mitzvah, after you've gone through the rite of passage where you have like entered adulthood, you fast, you, you actually, the, the, the idea, the, the practice, if you can, if you can, is mm-hmm. to fast and yeah, and spend the day reflecting on yeah, on 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 yeah, on how you affect other how you affect other people and to mm-hmm. offer apologies where they are due. And yeah, if you were doing that every single day, you would probably drive yourself insane. But to have like a devoted day a year and to know that everybody's doing it and it's it's kind of, it's it's kind of like a societal like if you were living in a community in like a tribal you know tribe situation like it's kind of a societal like like uh reset slash debts go to zero kind of a day it's like okay we've we did what we did in the last year and we're gonna kind of you know make amends and and like cancel all the debts and just go back to zero together and start a new year together it's right it's right around the new year it's it's actually the new year is the week before, which I still, I need to like understand more of why the new year happens and then Yom Kippur. There's mm. like a million interpretations of that, but I, I haven't like found one that kind of makes sense to me yet. But anyway, it's, yeah, it's around the new year. So make amends, 
kind of like social debts to zero and then start again. Yeah. Yeah. And I've just come out of a very deep six, seven year community experience that uh, ended in quite dramatic fireworks and, and was kind of tore itself apart over different issues and, and political understandings. And I just think this is such critical social technology. Like mm, I just, I, yeah. don't, I, I think every community needs to have at least, I'd say maybe every six months of like, yeah, so beautiful because it allows us to, to take our ego hats off for a minute and be like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who's right. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You are sorry. We're both sorry. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think there's something really rich in this. Like I want to develop that idea more and come up with a mechanism for it and, and kind of a fun name and kind of like neo tribalize it a bit to kind of, mm. yeah. Cause it's, it's really potent, really potent. Yeah. Totally look into it. It's great. Yeah. And it's, and what's nice is we don't have to, we don't have to like decide to do it ourselves. It's like, it's here, it's happening. We're all doing this now. That's, yeah. that's, that's what's going on. Yeah. That's cool. I yeah. That. Yeah. And forgiveness, this like cousin of the apologies. I've I've been going uh, back and forth with that. What are you what are your feelings around forgiveness? It's just what it's funny that you started point? with with the like it feels hollow cuz yeah, I I I mean, it kind of feels ho- like I didn't have a relationship with I I wouldn't say with apology, the notion of an apology or forgiveness necessarily before before these projects and I I wouldn't even really say that now although it's funny people kind of like ask me for advice on and I I do think I'm actually I do think I've developed this like weird unique skill of crafting really effective (laughs) um and people have told me to offer it as a service but I guess the reason I'm less like Mm. I'm less like you know interested per se in apologies and forgiveness is because for me it's I I'm more interested in like the what's the goal here, right? The goal is from what I understand is to repair harm, to repair harm with whoever we impacted with our behavior, to see that, to see it clearly, to learn from it and grow from it and to, and to repair. And so I'm only interested in apology and forgiveness in so far as it serves that or like enables that or is a part of that. If someone says, I don't need an apology from you or I don't care, you know, or then it's like, it's, you know. um, So, yeah, I guess I see them more as like potentially means to an end, but like the end is the, the, what I'm interested in, I I guess. I got thinking about it this morning, actually, and I, I thought how we often... There seems to be like a sweet spot that can be quite hard to achieve with forgiveness. So I recognize in myself, one of my grosser ego moments that comes up is like, no, I don't want to apologize. Like there's that knee jerk reaction, that kind of five-year-old that's become an adult of like, I snatched the frying pan off my partner the other day because I was in a rush. Super lame and just crappy. And then I'm like, that sucked. Like, let me go. And you did what? For that. I snatched you... the frying pan. She was drying it. Oh, the frying pan. Oh, it oh, down oh, oh, I was oh. in a rush and I grabbed it and it was like, just a dick move, you know? And <laughs> then I kind of felt justified because I was hurry. I was in a rush and I was like, oh, I should go apologize for that right now. That wasn't cool. 
And then another part of me was like, no, no, you shouldn't, you know, like, don't do that. And it was like, oh, what a gross, I'm kind of ashamed of that part of me. That's just like, that just feels like straight up ego to me of like, no, I don't want to lose. So there's that. We're all familiar with that. There's hard yeah. to, to do that. But then the yeah. other side I thought that's like more nuanced, that's difficult is like, I'm not sure we should always accept certain apologies or welcome forgiveness in some ways, because that might then open us up to depending on our personality and the dynamics, but an unhealthy toxicity that we're actually needing to have boundaries around. And there tends to be a kind of like, once you've accepted an apology or moved into a place of forgiveness, then you just repeat the cycle again and again. So it's kind of like, I feel like we need training on both sides of that, of like how to let go of the ego and then how to sometimes keep the boundary up around. Totally. You know like, no, I, I don't want that. Right yeah. Now, or... Yeah, totally. Totally. Stay sensitive. It's not stay, stay. Yeah. Stay sensitive to what is actually going on <laughs> to the actual reality inf unfolding in front of you. Yeah. Because yeah, that I'm a million percent. Um, and, but I think it's also worth saying, um, uh, like compassion and consequences can coexist or like yes. you just because you're sitting in jail, like it's mm -hmm. like restorative justice and traditional criminal justice are not mutually exclusive, right? Just because you're yes. sitting in jail doesn't mean you can't go through a restorative justice process to repair the harm you caused, right? There's, yes. there, there, there seems to be some kind it's like, if I allow you to learn from your actions, am I letting you off the hook too easily? It's like, no, it's really in everyone's interest that we all be growing. Yeah. And, and like, but that doesn't mean there's no consequences. Right. I don't yeah. like there's still consequences for your behavior, but like I definitely want you to learn from it <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> so much. Yeah. And I think what I'm pointing to there is quite a personal thing for me. It's not everyone's personality structure, but I think it's fairly pervasive. It's like I'm not great. I'm learning right now to give the compassion and keep the consequences. So in less extreme examples than kind of being criminally wronged, I mean, more in the people that I love that are close to me when I feel like something isn't serving me so much i'm learning to be able to be like actually no definitely no to that and i'm not okay with it okay but i'll accept your understanding and forgive you for that but then in that moment i tend to like just it just happens again and i kind of lose my sense of self in that moment so i guess what i'm trying to learn and i think a lot of people in my life i'm seeing are trying to learn of like how do I do that? How, I mean, family is a good example, right? Like, how do I forgive you and love you and keep you close and allow you to be you without losing my sense of me? And I think that's a really subtle dance that happens between parents and kids in particular that just broadly as a society, it's just, I don't see it spoken about too much. It tends to be in the shadows a bit just because it's so hard to do. And so we tend to just kind of live with it. And it's something, um, yeah, I'm really looking at and, and your project brought that up for me a bit. I wanted to touch on the deep reckonings part of your project, um, <laughs> which is the wonderful later edition, which <laughs> won the Webbies. This is this project that's been <laughs> given some high fives. And yeah, it's amazing. Um, Stephanie created deep 
fakes using these technologies that have just arrived to take uh, Trump, Zuckerberg, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, and uh, they they gave apologies, records for <laughs> things that they've done that you know they regret and. I mean, it's it's cool on so many levels. It's creative, it's fun, it's interesting, it's cutting edge just because this technology is just arriving. But it's also really profoundly healing. And like, I, I wondered, did that surprise you, the depth of the potency of, of what this could be used for in so many different ways? You said people have reached out to you and have been asking you to craft them in different oh. contexts. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm interested in that. Yeah, it's um yeah, it did it did actually surprise me. I it's amazing that I I'm like moved to tears watching Kavanaugh's sometimes and I I can lip sync it. <laughs> like I wrote the words. I know exactly what he's going to say and yet it's still so moving to hear him the imagine hear Kavanaugh hear a voice actor, you know, say those words. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, and it definitely was, I mean, I was nervous to do, I, I, I was the most nervous about Alex Jones actually. Yeah. Um, it was like, do I really want to try to crawl into his heart and see what's mm. going like, that's, what's so amazing is like, when you go in assuming that there's like a human, like a beating heart in there, you'll find it. So I ended up actually feeling a lot of like pity for him. To my yeah. total surprise, but yeah. How did it feel earlier... to be Alex Jones for that it's, time? It feels manic is what it feels like. Yeah. It feels totally manic. It's it's like so chaotic and unsettling. It's like mayhem inside his mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can hear like there's there's like an amazing – so I, 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 I did his deep reckonings. He's in <laughs> – I had him ha- have his deep reckonings his deep reckoning in dialogue with Joe Rogan. So on the Joe mm-hmm. Rogan experience. And I, mm-hmm. I kind of um, took as inspiration an appearance of his on Joe Rogan a couple years ago, where Joe Rogan actually tries to kind of help him apologize for the Sandy hook, like conspiracy theories, calling Sandy hook a hoax. And it is maybe like the most amazing 30 minutes of audio it's like some of the most amazing 30 minutes of audio to listen. I listened to it over and over again. And Joe, cause they, they're old friends and Joe's like trying to get Alex and he like almost gets there and then gets scared and then starts talking about frog testicles and, and this and that. And then like kind of goes there and like almost apologizes. You can tell he mm. wants to, but he's like, he doesn't, I mean, it feels insane to him. You can tell he just, he like wants to, and he just does not know how. And he's terrified. Oh, and by the way, his audience like who knows how many guns they are. Like if he were to even change, he would be like endangering his own life. Yeah. Yeah, like he, can he, how can mm. he, how could he? I think he could. I think he, I think he totally could. I think it, that would be a great challenge. I mean, that's basically what I tried to script is like, yeah. how could he do this in a way that would like bring his audience with him? I mean, yeah. I, but I mean, it's, it's yeah. But I think he, I think, yeah, I, it it totally changed my relationship with all of these people. Of course, to write these scripts for them, which they're it like, what a practice! Like that would be a great, 
practice. I don't know if it's yeah. therapy well, or the three, school two, or one all process. of the above. You heard of that? No. That's actually out of the integral um, oh, oh, oh. Been popularized as well. I've done it before. It's really powerful. Well, you three, two, one is in third, second, and first perspective. So you take an issue. It's it's interpersonal, but you can do it with a broader issue. But it's easier with another person you're having a problem with. And three, two, one. How does it work? You take the you you describe the events, and then you describe how it feels from your perspective, and then you describe how it feels from their perspective mm. and how they would say it, and mm. it works. It's really profound. awesome. It's I'm going to try that shadow working tool. So yeah, I mean, that's essentially what you're cool. doing in these videos. Yeah. I ha I developed my own little template. Um, it was probably, yeah, it was it, this, it, I didn't like plan for this. This is just kind of what came out. The mm -hmm. pattern with the scripts was what, uh, what is this person actually reckoning with? Mm -hmm. What is their responsibility? what giving them the utmost benefit of the doubt what could possibly explain their behavior yeah. giving them the benefit of the doubt and then if this person actually underwent this reckoning what mm -hmm. wisdom would they come to that they have to teach us yeah yeah because again this like this isn't just to me it's like it's kind of it's not just a it's like beyond apology like my for, like my guests come to you know the guests on the show there's if, if, if like Brett Kavanaugh were to actually have a reckoning with the way he responded to sexual allegations against him, he would come to some wisdom that would be helpful for all of us, I believe. So, yeah. Um, but I'm going to, I want to write that down. Three, two, one. I'm going to use that with my husband. Yeah, check it out. It's really good. And, um, yeah, I mean, it kind of links into the developmental psychology piece of things, doesn't it? Because you had to kind of take on their value memes to make that, to do that. You have mm -hmm. to slip into a whole different worldview. What are the what are the motivations? And I don't know. I tend to take a very psychological perspective on systems change lately. For me, a lot of it comes down to trauma. And it's like, what different developmental and more direct traumas did these people experience? Yeah. And how has that led them to be where they are? And yeah. what helps to have compassion around that is like getting clear on our own trauma. We seem to have a kind of blind spot around that and it's able to see in other people. But until we, we see how deeply traumatized we all are in different ways, just from our societal system, let alone our family system, and then whatever challenges we've faced along the way, I don't know. It makes it easier for me to be like, we're just in a, this is a big mental asylum, basically. Oh and my God. Yeah. Our totally. way through it and yeah. trying to walk each other home with that. Yeah. And, yeah, there's a lot of love and compassion that can come from that, but it's there's all sorts of crazy and this there's um God, the characters you chose are all different frequencies of it as well. Like Zuckerberg's calm, slightly alien feeling, cold, yeah. detached, politician y type vibe. And then Trump's yeah. narcissistic, like just completely high in his own supply type vibe. And Alex's like <laughs> manic driving forward momentum yeah. yeah it's like fascinating to yeah yeah it was very fun it was very fun to go from like telling kind of like t helping people tell their stories to just like getting to write the script myself yeah, yeah. it's so cool it's so everyone yeah. you need to check it out if you haven't seen it they're amazing they're up on up on youtube um and it got me thinking like so where does this go so deep fakes just 
just arriving. It hasn't really impacted us the way it will in the future, but there's going to come a time pretty soon when we're not going to be able to trust the veracity of, of, of video anymore. We're just going to mm. always have the question of like, well, what's going on with that? Where, mm. And what that does to our truth, you know, our epistemologies is, is, is really, really fascinating. And I'm just trying to imagine a future of like, yeah, well, see it to believe it but then you've got ar and vr coming in soon so mm. we're not even going to be able to know what the difference between a hologram is and isn't so it's going to mm. have a really kind of dissolving effect on our old school understandings of truth and that mm-hmm. uh you know that raises all sorts of delicious postmodern questions but it also shakes the foundations of things a bit because we tend to rely on those maybe slightly faulty truth mechanisms to create the structures of our institutions and our society so i don't know maybe it, maybe it's not so intense and it'll just be another curio- technical curiosity but I, I i tend to think that it's going to have bigger ramifications than we've made sense of yet and i wonder whether you've you've thought about that much yes yeah and this is a this is a big question um i mean i can i guess i can just say like yes we are you know, understandably panicked about the fate of truth. Um, Mm. And deepfakes only exacerbate that. And um, even if we magically eliminated all deepfakes, we would still be in a post-truth crisis, right? We would still be in a crisis of epistemological proportions. And Mm. and, and a crisis of epistemological proportions requires nothing short of an epistemological intervention, Right. So I would say like, yes, we need deep fake detectors and fact checking and media literacy. And we actually need to evolve our epistemology. You know, we need to evolve how we know what we know about the world. And and, you know, and and I I mean, I I would go as far as to say that we are ready for 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 the next enlightenment. I mean, and I can Mm. just like within the context of deep reckonings, I guess the. The way, the way the Alex Jones video ends, um, and this won't ruin it for you, but the way that the video ends is, you know, um, so J- Jones has his reckoning and then he kind of like, kind of like steps back for a second. And he's like, he's like, so, so what should I do with this video? And Joe Rogan is like, well, what do you mean? And Alex is like, well, it's fake, but it's true. <laughs> And Joe Rogan oh, is like, well, why don't you just pretend true. this is fake, but it's true. And Joe Rogan is like, well, why don't you just pretend this video is real? And Alex Jones is like, well, that's crazy. And Joe Rogan starts laughing because how ridiculous is it that Alex Jones thinks it's crazy to pretend that something that's fake is real. And then Joe Rogan is like, well, why don't you just come on my show and we'll do the real version? Mm. And then Alex is like, oh. but so, but so, you know, but then the, I mean that, that introduces the question, like, what if Alex Jones pretending that his Deep Reckonings video was real mm. is what allowed him to stop broadcasting lies? Mm. Like, would we be prepared to sacrifice the value that would come oh, from Alex Jones just because, you know, or what if he just didn't say whether it was real or not? What if it was like placebo effect? Like, I'm just not going to mm. say, you know, it's like, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question. But I'm. I'm at least willing to entertain it, and 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 at least willing to kind of acknowledge that truth 
exists in tension with other values. Like truth is not the one and only value. And so I would say, you know, like the, I would be, I I would encourage us to expand our vision for how to transcend the post-truth crisis beyond like deep fake detectors, et cetera, to to also include evolving our relationship with truth and evolving. A sprinkle of goodness and a sprinkle of beauty could, could help with that. Yeah. A sprinkle of just like, what are we trying to achieve here? And maybe truth is not always the way and maybe a purposeful fiction is not, is not the way and a purposeful fiction is different from a lie. Yeah. A purposeful fiction is like virtual reality therapy is like hmm. putting yourself in a simulated environment that allows you to overcome PTSD. It's like no one's yeah. pretending it was real, but it's definitely fictional and it's definitely helping me. I think like I think younger people like I feel like my kids generation is going to be like, I feel like part of the reason we're getting so kind of nervous about truth is because we are about to evolve our relationship with it and like relax our relationship with it. And I feel like for our, my kids are going to be like, mom, I know it's not true. Like, don't get so hung. Like, I know this thing is not true, but it's helping me do this other thing that I really want to do. Like, get over it, mom. And I'm really like, but is it true? And I'm like, mom. Wow. And yeah. So, so- this some modern hangover that we've got some post enlightenment kind of fixation on truth we're just nervous we we're just it's it it makes total sense it makes it's i mean i think we prepare ourselves for what's coming yeah i think right now i think there's a similar thing going on i mean i don't know i'm like this could get me into trouble whatever there's a similar thing going on right now with us trying to like define maybe we're not doing it as much anymore trying to define human intelligence or trying to define humans as, as separate from non-human as separate from machines as separate from Mm -hmm. algorithms as separate from artificial intelligence. It's like, I feel like we kind of do this thing before because, and, and it's not, we're not losing, we're just giving birth to a, to a synthesis, right? Thesis, anti-thesis synthesis, we're giving birth to an integration. So there will be, there will be, there won't be just, only non-truth there will be both truth lies and purposeful fictions <laughs> mm-hmm. you know there will be like humans machines and cyber i mean and i don't actually i don't even know how much i believe what i just said but like i do think we kind of prepare ourselves a little bit for what's coming so right now we're like hey everyone are we all on the same page about what truth is just want to make sure just want to make sure before we start creating more gray out of the black and white that we're like all on the same page <laughs> Yeah, uh, and we've yeah. seen it on the macro scale, right? We've seen it with the kind of revival of nationalism, with the the, the you know proto fascism and the QAnon mm-hmm. stories. That the power of narrative isn't going anywhere. We thought we'd kind of sanitized it a little bit, but it's still the driving force. And I feel we either engage with it and we use it beautifully and artistically or it's going to get warped and, and used for for you know totally not so great outcomes to emerge and and mm-hmm. that links in nicely to so many fascinating things you're up to stephanie the your, your new cool job working <laughs> at the center for humane technology and i want to particularly nod to um the episode you produced with daniel schmachtenberger and tristan mm. harris 
Mm-hmm. It was so fucking good. Like I've listened oh. to hours of Daniel over the years. Oh. And that's cool. <laughs> I've always enjoyed it. But that, yeah. particularly the edited version, was like, bam, bam, bam. Like oh, it all sunk you. in. I got it good. in a really profound way. It was really oh, well nice. edited and um, really touches on what we're talking about, right? Because he's kind of like this archetypal, let's revive the epistemological commons and and sort of re- build our understanding to truth and technology and communication so what's it been like working there i mean tristan is another Uh kind of luminary in that space it must be be really inspiring yeah it's fun yeah tristan is a great partner we've we've actually known each other for a long time and we have Mm -hmm. kind of a we both have like an anxious philosophical latin jew thing going we kind of have like a sibling (laughs) thing going on but he he it's it's like this wild thing where like he's he's more outer space than i so i I get to be like the grounded one for a change which like if you know me that's like unheard of so it's it's kind of cool to like be the like grounded one around um (laughs) Anyway, yeah, it's it's. Um, what does that mean? What does that look like? What you just kind of like. <laughs> it means um, I bring us down to earth when this, like keep us on track. Um, He's got but, a lot of um, big visionary energy going on, I imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah I, it actually, actually, probably what it means is like maybe I'm 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 the one who's like really tethered to the listener. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. But 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 something I do really want to say about the role is that uh, we're hiring for a senior producer for the show. So if you're interested in um, if you're an audio producer and would love to, yeah, share some big, urgent, important ideas in a beautiful, compelling way. And oftentimes, like, yeah, definitely we could use all the sugar we can get to make some of this medicine go down. So. If that is interesting to you, please, um, humanetech.com slash careers. Cool. I think I'm giving you. Yeah, please. Um, we are actively recruiting for a senior producer right now. Yeah, it's an amazing, yeah. amazing role. Um, yeah. Stephanie, thank you so much for spending the time with me. So cool to delve into your world and all the things that you're up to. Um, yeah, what's next? Whatever, what do you got going on? So you got the Center for Humane Technology happening. Is that taking up a lot of the bandwidth right now, or have you got some other projects? It's kind of it's go? taking up all of the bandwidth, unfortunately. But um, if it was not, there is a never-ending list of things that I yeah I have a perpetual never-ending list. Um, what can I say? I mean, I was wanting to turn Deep Reckonings into a series. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, the most common question I got asked was, who's next? Yeah. Right? Like, who are you going to do next? And so, and and once you start looking at the news with this frame, you know, it was like, I want to do an imaginary conversation between Netanyahu and Carl Jung. Netanyahu yeah. having a reckoning with his relationship with power, mm-hmm. you know, or an imaginary dialogue between... Meghan Markle and the Queen, or mm. I mean, there's so yeah. Once you start looking at the news, I mean, Andrew Cuomo. It's just like every week, there's just like a new, obvious, amazing possibility. So, I've been wanting to do that, but then yeah, CHT kind of swallowed me alive. The Center for Humane Technology. Um, I think I think what's really more kind of like on the what's next. I mean, yeah, there's there's a million projects I would love to do, but. Um, maybe the simplest 
one that feels urgent is I don't, I, I haven't really figured out um, how to, maybe this is a question of advice that you can give me. I haven't really figured out how to have like a, a, a channel just for my, like, it's a constant flow and I of inspiration of like way of ways of seeing things, I guess, or, um, I mean, I can give, I can give an, I can give examples. I mean, I, yeah. I, I like write them down, but that's the thing. I have these like thoughts or, or ways of seeing. Um, and I, 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 I mean, that, that is initially why I started the infinite lunchbox YouTube channel was I thought, mm-hmm. Oh, I'll just do really short video essays. And they yep. took way too much time and it was there there was no way to stay tethered to the news cycle and and so oh, it's like it, is it yeah. TikTok videos is it Twitter is it is it my voice is it writing like I, I don't know but it's literally um, it's it's I actually feel painfully constipated I have felt this way for years actually like these projects are a nice like deep reckonings is like a as a one is like a a nut, but like I, is like a wonderful big project but I have. Mm-hmm. I have, I don't have a channel and I, and I, I right now really don't have time to really in, you know, so it, it's going to have to be like something as simple as just Twitter, <laughs> like, or, or something. I don't, I've started, I don't know I've how to do Facebook that. Again how do you do it? Years. Yeah. Because I have exactly the same problem. I've got a ridiculous list of ideas and projects. Facebook for that of like, all right, let me try and condense this in the simplest form that I can. And even that I'm struggling with because they end up being longer, interesting quasi articles. So you know what I'm doing with that right now? I'm just trying to let it go. I'm, I'm starting to realize that my own anxiety uh... and achievement kind of drive is actually masking some deeper stuff that I'm not looking at uh... in terms of my own anxiety. So it's like, yeah. I see that as a beautiful distraction for me in some ways and I'm kind mm. of uh, having a baseline of doing some amount of creativity and then I'm going the other way but um huh that's a Interesting. work in progress as well yeah yeah that's also a suggestion I had not gotten so thank you <laughs> thank you Stephanie really yeah. good to spend the time together and um look forward to seeing what does emerge from that wonderful creative mind and soul of yours it's uh it's been so enjoyable to delve into all of your work. I really appreciate what you've been doing. Oh, thank you, Joe. This is really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so grateful. I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. Show notes are available online at www.joelightfoot.org where you can also find more information about my book, A Collective Blooming. Music by Johnny Eagle. Until next time, be well, my friends.